the, the, um, the word from the Bible, from the New Testament, is from Luke 4, verse 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when he, they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Not yet. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And when the time was over, he was famished. During his time of fasting in the wilderness, Jesus drew on his relationship with the divine. Each time he was tempted, he was able to quickly respond with scripture that was the foundation of our faith. His example of trust and hope in the divine that was within him and guiding him through the most difficult of times. This is a great example for us of how our spiritual disciplines strengthen the muscles we use in turning to God in prayer, referring to scripture, relying on friends for support and accountability. Many times in our spiritual journeys, we begin or include times of being in the wilderness and we feel alone and ill-equipped. But knowing that we are not alone, that we are good enough, can help see us through. 
The series that we began the other night will help us to redefine perfection to mean that which is perfectly suited for us, which might in fact be quite ordinary in someone else's lexicon of life. We don't have to become more or better or perfect for God to love us or to experience grace. We are already good enough. After all, God saw what had been made, and it was very good. The Latin word sacramentum is a description of holy as the inbreaking of the divine on or in something quite ordinary, like the presence of divine love in the bread and wine of communion, or the water in our baptism. Actually, all we have is ordinary stuff of our regular everyday lives to point toward the divine presence. Our own words describe God, pray to God. They may sometimes seem feeble, but they are good enough. All we have is our ordinary lives to give witness to the sacramental nature of God's action here and now in everything we say and do, in each prayer, in each workday, in each school day, in each act of mission, and in each act of kindness. While we are waiting for something spectacular to happen, like the temptation for Jesus to turn stones into bread, or for any of us to receive a million likes on social media, or angels swooping down, we might just miss the real in-breaking, in real time, in ordinary time, into our ordinary lives, where God is surely present. If life is feeling like a wilderness wandering of ordinariness, we're in good company with the Israelites and with Jesus, who encountered the inbreaking of God in just such conditions. This Lenten season, you are invited to read a book along with us called Good Enough, 40-ish Devotionals for Life of Imperfection. It was written by Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie, and there will be some questions in the e-weekly each week to guide your study. And I'll be lifting some of the ideas here in the sermon. You can find ways to purchase the book by reading our e-weekly. There's a link there. And some of the places that it's available in person are Target and BAMS, Books a Million. And you can see they might carry it here in Concord. One of the devotions some of us are reading this week is called Happy Enough. And the authors write, desire can feel like an endless hunger. But there's a feeling we get when we feel full, contentment. And it's much harder to describe or explain that feeling. It's difficult to photograph the feeling you get looking out your window or the rush of satisfaction when you see the smile on someone's face. Maybe you want to cherish the perfect cup of tea or get that amazing stretch after actually having slept a full night. Most of the big no moments will not seem terribly important to everyone else. They are ordinary. But they are important to you, and that's good enough. God made you exactly the way you are, with your own desires and accomplishments, and loves you exactly the way you are.
In scripture, we find this truth in Paul's writings in Philippians 4.13, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul isn't saying he can move mountains or vanquish pain, but he can find a strength, a kind of peace, no matter the condition, good or bad, because of Christ's strength in him. His contentment came from God's presence alone. And you can have access to that same contentment and peace through Christ's strength and through the knowledge that you are good enough. One of the devotions for this coming week that I really resonated with was called No Reason Whatsoever. In it, we read that our culture says that everything has to be for something. It's called hyper-instrumentalization, the obsession with use. You know, how useful was your day? Even when it was your day off, what quantity of chores did you do? What quality of projects did you complete? How many members of your friends and family did you reach out to? More, more, do, do. When our lives get overwhelming, it's tempting to begin to use this logic as a weapon against ourselves. Look at us, failing to multitask, failing to render all goods into ideas and practices and moments that can be useful in someone else's eyes, in culture's eyes. It might seem counterintuitive then that when life is at its worth, some of us don't turn to doing nothing. The author, Kate Bowler, has a good example. She has been dealing with cancer and says, naps and television and sitting around are great. But when a week is full of terrible medical appointments, or when I can't seem to get out of an anxious thought loop, she says, I need to do something because my life feels out of control. But you can find incredible peace and joy when you discover you are doing something for no reason at all. Maybe today you need to get permission to do something for no reason whatsoever. Bake the cookies your great aunt used to make, even if they don't turn out perfectly. Read a poem with a Swedish accent. Lie in the grass and form cloud animals or dream up new constellations. Take a drive to the nearest roadside attraction, even though you go by it every single day on your way to the store. Take up whittling, or learn to cross-stitch something inappropriate or goofy on a pillow, the author suggests. How does it feel to try? You may know that I was doing a bunch of bucket list type items this past summer, like glass blowing. I burnt myself like riding my bicycle along the seacoast. I fell off, I broke my wrist. And like kayaking in an estuary, which I've always wanted to do, which actually was quite an accomplishment because I had broken my wrist and had not yet gone to the emergency room. And I got tisk-tisked for that one. But you may say I messed up, but I say it was fun. I'm glad I did each of those things, and my life is better for having done them. I didn't do any of them to become an expert. I did them for the experience, and that was good enough. I found beauty and solace in the ordinariness of them all.
Another of our devotionals this week is called Mediocrity for the Win. Sometimes we're convinced that we are not good enough. I know I was raised to think that I had to do everything and do it perfectly. Like so many, we buy into a story of intense perfectionism, that we have to be everything or we are nothing at all. We are living in a culture that celebrates the high-stakes qualities of perfectionism, and researchers have been following the rise of unrealistic and self-critical standards as a kind of societal phenomenon. Job applicants trying to impress the new boss cite trying too hard as the only acceptable humble brag. Mental health experts describe anxiety and low self-esteem as the result of ever-increasing standards of physical, social, and emotional perfectionism. We are living in an unending pageant, and the judges never tire. I personally find grocery shopping impossible. It has to be good for us. It has to be cheap. It cannot contain dairy because I'm intolerant. It cannot contain raspberries because Jim is allergic. It cannot contain mushrooms because Josh doesn't like them. And we all have to find it utterly delicious. I might be able to tick two of those boxes, but I will never tick all of them. And so I fail every single week. If we could only trust that the giving of ourselves with all of our imperfection has a value beyond rubies, we need a deep permission. Permission to ask for help. Permission to get better. Permission to fail. Our author also hosts a podcast which she calls Everything Happens. It's an important title because she's calling out folks who say everything happens for a reason, which is incredibly painful for Kate to hear in the midst of her cancer and was incredibly difficult for me to hear after a stillbirth. She has replaced Everything Happens for a Reason with a more accurate and considerate Everything Happens, just happens. Without reason, without judgment, everything happens. One of her podcast episodes includes a wonderful dialogue with Nadia Boltzweather, who comes at the question of whether we are good enough from having started her own church in Denver, Colorado. She says that life is hard to do on your own, but easier with a group of people who are just as messed up as you are. And that's one of the key teachings in this series. We don't have to go it alone. Life is a group project, and we're here to support each other. That's what church is. There's a kind of hope that only comes from people who have suffered and can be completely honest that they're not trying to win a piety competition. I love that phrase, piety competition. Like we have to be better at praying and remember more scripture in order to gain God's grace, not. God loves our mismatched words and our skipped verses and misremembered phrases. God's grace runs over us abundantly just for being our flawed and ordinary selves. Nadia Boltzweber points out that the vulnerability and transformation that help in 12-step groups like AA are the kind of transformational spirituality that we all need. She called her early church a rowing club 
She was describing that when you lose someone, like her group did to suicide, or by somebody jumping ship, everybody left in the boat, left in the community of support, has to row a little harder. Faith is that way. A team sport, not an individual competition. We hold the faith on each other's backs. Like when I can't believe, someone else is believing for me. Like the story in the gospel of those lowering, lowering their friends through the roof for Jesus to heal. We all need someone like that. Nadia Boltzweber reminds us that we have the capacity for growth. It's kind of like Tide detergent that has been improving itself ever since it was invented. New and improved, new and improved. We hope that we grow in wisdom and that there's a wisdom that can accumulate in our lives. We hope that we don't make mistakes and we, we hope that we remember all our lessons and we're constantly improving, just like Tide detergent. But this process of sanctification proves how much we need God every step of the way how much we need each other to help us through this transformation. In her church called House for All Sinners and Saints, she has found, Nadia Boltzweber, has found that one of the reasons people avoid community is because other people are disappointing, you know? Yet by being in community, we take turns being the ones who are disappointing. So maybe it's that guy's turn to be disappointing, but next week it will be my turn. It's that culture of turn-taking when it comes to being the ones who need grace or who are giving grace or who remind each other that grace is even a thing. She says that communities that are set up with those who are designated helper and the healthy people and then those who are designated as the problem people is BS because everybody in reality is both. Every single one of us is a helper, and every single one of us is a problem person. That saying, everything happens for a reason, is painful because it's painful when people are trite about suffering. The host, Kate Bowler, asked Nadia Boltz-Weber, and she says, that's because our own fragility is terrifying to us. We fear that one thing could happen to us, and we could be physically disabled, and we don't particularly like to embrace that fragility. We choose to ignore that it's even a possibility. It's easier to think, well, there's a reason that happened to that person. Because we're terrified of certain parts of ourselves. We read an obituary to see why someone died. We're curious about how people got sick out of self-preservation. When people are sick, that makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to be next. That kind of fragility and uncertainty is a pretty devastating thing, so we avoid it. Nadia tells the story of her daughter's first girlfriend as an example, as trying to um, help us understand that we all endure pain at some point in our lives. Her daughter was really happy with this first boyfriend. And Nadia said, honey, there's a reason so many songs and poems and movies have been written about this feeling of falling in love. Because it's amazing. And you know, if this goes south, 
or if he hurts you or if you break up, there might be a comparable low to the high that you're feeling right now. And that will feel as bad as this feels good. And if that happens, you should just know a couple of things. Just because it feels bad doesn't mean something's wrong because nobody escapes that. It's part of the deal. The reason it hurts you is because it's painful. The reason this thing you are experiencing in your life is hard is because hard things in life are hard. It's not a spiritual failing of yours that this feels bad. Hard things feel hard, period. When we accept that and become vulnerable, sharing our lives with each other, lowering our expectations of ourselves and each other, knowing we are all good enough, we will still feel loved even in the ordinary moments of a smile or a sunset which truly demonstrate God's loving creation. Thanks be to God for this indescribable and ordinary gift. Amen.